Hallelujah, what a Savior. God is not our Savior than this whole series on putting off the lies of sin and trusting in His promises means nothing if He isn't our Savior, if He isn't our Lord. Um, I don't know about you, but these, these few messages that we've been doing um, as a pastoral staff for you have blessed my heart. Um, and I'd like for us just to take some time as we are wrapping this up um, to just take some time in a moment now just to reflect on how God has exposed our hearts. Sins of fear, anxiety, depression, envy, bitterness, lust, covetousness, even discontentment. Would you reflect on how God's Word has shed light into your heart and also ponder how you've been armed to the teeth with the Scripture, the ammunition that you need to attack those lies of sin and the promises that are found in God's Word. And that's what we're going to do tonight. This is one more of those arming you, equipping you, as you head into battle this week. And as you know, I've had the task of speaking on impatience. And I find it very ironic that I had to wait for the last time, um, the last one, uh, to do that. And, um, but what that's done for me is as I've been preparing, and those of you that, that teach, you understand what I'm going to say, um, when you're preparing to teach on something, God gives you a lot of opportunities to apply it beforehand. Um, and this has definitely not been the exception. Very ironic indeed. But I want us to kind of have some fun at, at the outset, because really when we think of impatience, we think of a lot of different things. And uh, so let's, let's look at some of these things. Now, what do you think about when you see these line of cars. I'm glad I'm not in that, in, that, in that car line, right? Traffic. There's something about being in a, in a car behind other cars that makes us well up with rage and impatience. I can't remember a time really where I wasn't in a hurry, where I'm just like, oh, it doesn't matter. I've got all day, you know. I can just sit in line with all these cars. It's not a big deal. If it never moves, no big deal. No, we're always on the go, always trying to get somewhere. And look at all of these people that are in front of me. As Paul Tripp said, we would love to drive on roads paid by taxpayers that don't want to drive them. So we, you know, we would love just to do that. We would love to have a road that just says, this is where you go, Stephen Conley's road, and you can just go on it any time you want. But that's not the case. This is our life sometimes when we head down to Atlanta and see my folks. We're always caught in this parking lot called I-75, and we're just, standing, we're just sitting there forever, it seems, getting upset all the while. How about this? I could have put up any long line, but let's just be honest. The DMV is the worst possible line to be in, um, known to man. You can think of being in an amusement park, waiting in a hot you know, line for an hour and a half only to find that the ride's been closed. You have those ideas too, but I just thought this really captured it for me. Um, being in the, Only to find out you don't have the right information. You're supposed to bring your marriage license, your birth certificate, your social security card. Um, you're also supposed to bring your firstborn as well. Like You don't know what, what you're going to need until you get up there sometimes. And that can be frustrating. That can create some impatience in us. I had that experience happen at the DMV just a couple of years ago, and I still remember that feeling of impatience, that was just that desire to want to go to the front of the line, just, just push everyone out of the way and say, I should be first. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Here are some also fun things that irritate me when I see this little message come up. Actually, it's not that one. I'm sorry. It's actually this one because Windows doesn't do that. That's just me being, being funny. But loading, please wait. Isn't it interesting, have you noticed on Apple and Windows computers that when you're loading something, it starts off really fast and then stops right there? That glimmer of hope. It was loading. It was good. Oh, now it's buffering. Now it's going to take longer. We don't like this. Now, here's another barometer for you, okay? Wait for it. The microwave countdown. 
All right? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you, when it gets to 10, 9, 8, you can't stand it, and you just, you just rip the food out of the microwave? As if that extra three seconds really is going to matter. Anyway, I do that all the time. The microwave never dings in my house when I'm using it because I just, I'm just like, okay, now I have to do it. That countdown, that microwave, sometimes that can be, that can help us see really what we are, what, where our impatience level really might, might be. The average person, I don't know if this statistic is right or not, but the average person, so some websites say, gets impatient 15 to 30 times a day. I think that's probably on the low side. And has no idea that they're doing it. One author put it this way, impatience is like bad breath. We notice it when it comes out of someone else's mouth, but not when it comes out of our own. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hard to tell whether you have this, but you can point it out in others. You see, you see someone at the grocery store, and they're getting very upset with their toddler. And you're like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That's not me. Man, that, man, that poor kid. And then you're doing it the next week, you know? We just don't see it in our own hearts. We see it, obviously, in other people. It's commonplace. This is a hard habit to break. Really, there are, as you know, there are people that are naturally more negative, but we, we all struggle with this. We all struggle with griping about what's going on around us and becoming impatient. What are some of these things? Traffic jams, slow drivers, long lines, crying babies, misplaced keys. How many witnesses here? Just a little bit of metal on a ring can make you go crazy because you can't find it. And what do you end up doing? You start shouting out um, you know, these insults toward people in your house because you lost your keys, because you can't find something. How about cold food? Oh, man, cold food. There's something about that. You know, get impatient. Noisy neighbors. This happened to me just recently. Noisy neighbors. Unsuccessful diets. Impatient about our bosses. Lazy coworkers. Slow employees that move at the speed of a glacier. People who are in our way. We grumble about ineffective politicians, irresponsible athletes, irritating relatives. Christmas is coming. We sometimes even complain about where God has placed us, what family we've been born into, and the list goes on. Even the Christmas season, I just mentioned, is now upon us, this Advent theme of watching and waiting. You know, I was talking with Boaz about this when I was in Israel, talking about watching and waiting. He goes, don't talk to me about being impatient. 400 silent years, Stephen. <laughs> you, know, you know, so, I mean, he's just joking around, but that's, but, you know, that's something that, that, we have to, that we have to wrap our heads around. Why are we so impatient? Why are we such in a hurry? Why the rush? Why are we saying these type of things? Not a day too early. Not a day too late. Cars in front of me can't move fast enough. FedEx, UPS, and mail can't get to my house quick enough. Restaurants can't bring my food to my table soon enough. Wi-Fi isn't speedy enough. Unfortunately, impatience plays out most vividly in our relationships with others. Have you ever finished someone's sentence for them because you wanted them to stop talking? Do you fidget when, you are, when you're supposed to be still and you're waiting for someone or whatever? Do you listen or are you just waiting to leave when someone's talking to you? You know, these things all expose a heart of impatience. So that would be best tonight to start off here just kind of bearing my soul to you, being, being transparent before you about really when the first time that I really believe God exposed my heart of impatience. I'm sure it was exposed a lot growing up in my family context, but it wasn't until I stepped out of that family, stepped out of that home context, and saw my heart really on display and how ugly it really was. This is where I went to college. Just a few of the buildings there. The guy's dorm is right there. I was there for four years. And you know what? 
I had a lot of roommates over, the, over those years, some that were very irritating. But there was one particular year that I roomed with a guy named John. You see, when I arrived for my junior year at Northland Baptist Bible College, I found out that I was going to have him as a roommate. I was very disappointed. I was very upset because nobody wanted to room with John. Very difficult person to get along with. He would freak out at the slightest thing. He would scream at you at the top of his lungs for seemingly no reason at all. It was very difficult even to understand him. He wasn't easy. We all want easy roommates, right? People who are just like us, who would do what we do, and who would just treat us like royalty the entire semester. But that wasn't going to happen this junior year. And once you got your roommate, you had them for both semesters. He seemed to always be in my way, causing me to be inconvenienced. After a couple of months, I'd had enough. I went to the dean of students, dean of men. I I sat down with him and I listed out all my complaints, all the things that he does that makes my life miserable. And the best solution I could think of was for me to move out of that room and go to another room. And I fully expected the dean of men to do this for me. Because if he would just understand just how irritating this was, how difficult of a person this guy was to be around, that maybe, just maybe, he would give me what I wanted, and that was to get out of that situation and get into what I would think would be a better situation, one that I felt like I was entitled to. The dean of men said, Stephen, have a seat. Always a good thing to hear when you're in the dean's office. He told me this. He said, Stephen, let me tell you about John. John has autism. He has struggled his whole life to get to this point. He will probably be in college for the next decade just trying to get through his classes. Have you ever talked to John about his home life? You should. Very difficult upbringing. A lot of people didn't understand him. I see that's continuing. I know he's a handful at times, but I put him in your room, Stephen, because I thought you could be the friend he never had. I thought maybe you could come alongside him and show him Christ's love. However, it looks like I was wrong. It looks like you need John more than he needs you. I remember sitting there in the dean's office just feeling this big. My heart was exposed. This impatient heart of unbelief. This wasn't some random dorm room assignment. This was designed by God and His sovereign and loving plan. Not just so that I could come to Northland and and get my biblical training and and find a wife, which I did. Praise the Lord. But John was in my life for that year. Why? So that I could be taught by a loving Heavenly Father about how to be patient. How to endure. John Piper says, this is all about God teaching us to stay in His place, in God's place, going at His pace, trusting in His present and future Grace. You stay in God's place. What He is, His sovereign choosing for you. You go at His pace. What He has designed, His sovereign timing, and then you rest in the present grace that He's given you to deal with this, but also there's guaranteed future grace that is going to pull you to the other side. See, I had my nose pressed up against the canvas. All I could see was one little piece of what was happening, and I didn't like it. It was irritating. Once I stepped back and saw what God was doing, it made me realize I need to embrace this. You know, John moved out of the dorm room a semester early. He was able to find an apartment and uh, was able to live off campus. I remember helping him move out. 
of our dorm room. And we got over to his apartment. And I just remember just feeling sad, feeling like, man, I really don't want you to leave. Because I see all that God had done. I'm not sure where your struggle with impatience is tonight. I'm not sure how you're coming at this. I'm not sure how you arrived here in this auditorium tonight. Maybe you're a single person struggling with where God has you right now, struggling with college, struggling with work, struggling with, is God going to have a spouse for me out there? Sick and tired of people asking me if I'm dating somebody. And we grow impatient. Or maybe you are a spouse. Maybe you are a husband. Maybe you are a wife. And you're struggling with impatience. Your spouse isn't as sanctified as you would like them to be. They would only just be like you. (laughs) Then everything would be okay in this marriage, right? Maybe you're a parent tonight. Growing impatient with your children. Getting irritated with their responses to you. Being impatient with their behavior and how they're moving along. Maybe you're someone who is a husband or wife, but is desiring to be a parent. And God hasn't given that to you yet. You're on a journey that's a little bit different than the one who has a bunch of kids. You're desiring that, and God has said no for now. Maybe you're an employee at work, and it seems like everyone else is moving ahead. Everyone else is getting that promotion speaking with someone in our church recently about this, and they thought that this was going to be it. They thought that that this promotion that was coming up was going to be theirs. They worked hard for it. They earned it. And yet it went to someone else who wasn't as hardworking as them. Maybe you're a student here tonight in school. Maybe that chemistry teacher just has your number. Maybe you're just, you're just ready to hang it up. You just want to quit. That's what impatience is going to lead you to do, by the way, every time. Give up. Do something rash. Instead, God wants us to our hearts to be exposed to point us back to His all-sufficient grace. So let's do that tonight. Let's, let's talk a little bit about impatience versus patience. And I don't have a nice three-point outline for you tonight. This is topical. We are going to go to some different passages. But each heading is kind of its own, um, on the slide is its own um, point, if you will. So we're just, these are different headings that we're going to kind of frame out how we're going to look at this tonight. So we're going to define our terms. Then we're going to look at what, how God uses these opportunities in our life to be patient, to embrace patience instead of giving in to impatience. And we're going to look at some helpful questions to ask ourselves as well. Let's define our terms. What is impatience? Impatience, as Jerry Bridges defines, which is a great book, by the way, Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate, highly recommend it. His chapter on impatience is excellent. And this is what he says. It's a strong sense of annoyance at the usually unintentional faults and failures of others. Told you that God's been giving me opportunities, even in my own home, exposing my impatience. I've been learning as I look through this lens that it's not just, you know, a little bit of irritability. This is a sin in my life. Something that is a lot bigger than I originally thought. I find that happening a lot as we've gone through this Switch series. You probably didn't know that you were an envious person until Tim O'Shea preached on it, right? Didn't know you were a covetous person. You didn't know you were discontent until... But, you know, that's what God's Word does. It shows us what we really look like. And what I can do, what you can do, is look at yourself in the mirror and see the appearance and say, oh, I'm good with that, I can tolerate that. Or you recognize something needs to change. Do you have this strong sense of annoyance at the unintentional faults and failures of others. What happens when one of your children is putting away a dish 
from the dishwasher, drops it, and it shatters into a thousand pieces of glass on the floor. How do you react in that moment? Do you unleash the wrath of God on them at that point? Or do you say, you know what, that's okay, we make mistakes sometimes. Sometimes children need to be helped along in, in being careful. But, do, but in that moment, that's going to reveal whether your heart is impatient or not. Whether you're annoyed by this. The traffic illustration, the waiting in long lines. Does, that, does impatience bubble up in your heart at that point? Well, it just reveals what was in your heart that's in my heart all along. I love what John Piper says. He goes a little bit deeper. He says, impatience is a form of unbelief. It's what we begin to feel when we start to doubt the wisdom of God's timing or the goodness of His guidance. Wow. Because really, when we're getting angry in that moment, when we are impatient, what we really wish in that moment is that we were omniscient and omnipotent. We wish that we were God in that moment and could decide everyone else's destiny around us, and including our own. It wants to stand where God stands. How arrogant of me to want to stand in the place of God and dictate to someone else, whether it's my child, my wife, or one of my friends, or one of my coworkers, or someone that I am with, my neighbor, you know, how, to stand in God's place, how arrogant that is. It springs up in our hearts when the road of life is blocked by a fallen tree. This can be something that's small, like a long wait in a checkout line, or it can be a major combat over disease, over a handicap, a circumstance that knocks out the dreams that you had yourself. The opposite of impatience is not some glib, superficial denial of frustration. Okay? It's something deepening and ripening. What is this? Peaceful willingness either to wait for God where you are in the place of obedience or to persevere at the pace that God allows on the road to obedience. The opposite of impatience is not some superficial denial. It's not that you're living in this, you're just pretending to live in this happy world where everything goes your way. It's a willingness that has deep roots, that has fruit of waiting for God in the place of obedience. Something else to consider as we look at this. When the way you plan to run your day or the way you plan to live your life is cut off or slowed down, the unbelief of impatience tempts you in two directions. Okay? So when something is cut off in your life, you're coming up against an obstacle, impatience tempts you in two ways. Number one, give up or bail out. Or number two... Make rash, unwise decisions. Have you seen this play out in your life? When you get to that point, that boiling point of impatience and frustration, what is it that you hear people do, or even your own self? What do you hear yourself doing? Well, fine then. We're just not going to do it. You know, Like the parent who the kids aren't moving at the pace that they should, and he, dad's trying to pack the car for vacation, and and no one's ready, and everyone's frustrated, they're fighting each other, and they get in the car, and they're still fighting in the car, and, uh, and then the dad says, I'm going to take the car back to the house. We're going to unpack the car. We're not even going to go on vacation. Whoa. Well, that's going to solve the problem, isn't it? See how, see, see how helpful impatience, see this fruit of impatience is more frustration, destruction of relationships. It doesn't help anyone, least of all the one who is impatient. Not just giving up, but bailing out. It's like saying, you know what? 
if it's going to be this bad, if this person is going to be this challenging in my life, forget it. I'm going to quit this job. I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to quit this marriage. I'm not going to take this anymore from this woman or this man. I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to bail out. That's, that's not going to help you in life, of course. We realize that. But this is what impatience tempts you to do. On the other side, you make rash, unwise decisions that are hasty, impulsive, and reckless. Do you find yourself doing this on a regular basis when you're impatient? It leads you down a path where you start doing things that you normally wouldn't do, but you become impetuous. You try to make counter moves. It's like seeing that, that, that uh, traffic jam you're in, and some people's minds work this way. They're trying to find a detour, trying to find a way around it. And sometimes that just gets you even further back than you wanted to be. I remember one time my dad... And I were driving up to Wisconsin to go to Northland Baptist Bible College, all the way from Georgia, 1,000 miles, straight up to Wisconsin. And, and uh, he, he just hated going through Chicago. Every time he goes to Chicago, he gets stuck. So he took a 100-mile detour around Chicago. And even though it probably took the same amount of time, he just felt better because he came up with the detour. You know, Sometimes we try to do that. We try to find ways around... And while what my dad did in that situation was good, in life, though, we're not, we don't need to be looking for detours. We need to be looking to what God is telling us, how he's teaching us, and maybe instead of plucking us out of this situation, he actually wants to take us through it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 helps us with that. God is faithful and will, with the temptation, bring us through it as we, and give us a way to bear it. Patience also teaches us some things. I don't have that on here. Patience teaches you to keep going, endure, and trust in God to work all things for our good and His glory. That's what it's all about. So let's talk about some of these things. How can we see God doing this on on display? First of all, waiting on God produces strength. Waiting on God produces strength. Waiting is the ground where patience grows. Isn't that interesting? Waiting on the Lord is is really something you see in the Old Testament describing this opposite of impatience. Look, at, if you would, at Psalm 27, 14. I put them on the screen so we could move a little quicker through this. So those verses would be handy for you. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What is, what is the psalmist telling us to do? Well, remember in verse 1 he says, The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? I'm trusting in God to lead me through whatever, whenever, however he chooses. He ends with saying, wait. Nobody likes to wait. But he's encouraging, he's preaching it to himself, he's preaching it to us. Be of good courage, and He will strengthen your heart. Where is that strength coming from? From God Himself, but as you wait. There is no hurry up and get this over with type of strength that God gives us. It is in the waiting many times. Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His Word I hope. It's not just aimless waiting on nothing. You are hoping, you are actively pursuing the Word. You're actively putting your trust in God to sustain you. Isaiah 40, 31 talks about this as well. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew, what? Their strength. You would think it would be the opposite there. It's not just about saying, well, I just want to feel productive. I want to get stuff done. Sometimes getting stuff done means waiting on the Lord. That's when your strength is renewed. It says right here, you'll mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. 
psalmist here is giving us so much meat to sink our teeth into when we are impatient. We need to feed on this. We need to arm ourselves. In his word, I hope, this hope is, is faith not just in the present, but in future grace. Psalm 130, verse 5, is a clear illustration of how to battle in impatience, putting your hope in God, in His promises. Have you ever been tempted not to wait peacefully for God? Not to let Him give you your next move? Tempted even to give up? Or even go ahead without Him? Take the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and wield this wonderful promise against that enemy of impatience. The Bible says you'll mount up with wings as eagles. There will be a blessing. There will be a strength that comes in waiting. Now what I'm telling you here is not something that is news to you, but I hope that you'll see it in the context of your life, in your everyday decisions, in your everyday battles with impatience. Waiting is not bad. That somehow in, our, in, our, in my head and in yours, we hate it. We avoid it at all costs. Scripture says embrace it. Wait and trust in the Lord. Something else, God produces this in us. Maybe some of you are going, well, how do I get this? God produces it in us. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, or long-suffering. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this as well. That fruit, The facet of the fruit of the Spirit of love is what? It is first patient or suffers long. It endures all things, hopes all things, believes all things, never fails. This is what the Bible says our love should look like, our life should look like, live under the control of the Holy Spirit. God produces this patience in us. Something I encourage you to do is go to every epistle that Paul wrote and look at the beginning portions in chapter 1. And many times, and even sometimes in the middle of those epistles, especially in Ephesians, you'll notice that Paul gives us prayers that he prayed for those specific churches, those specific people. In Colossians, look at what he's praying for. He's saying in verse 9, he talks about that he's going to bow his knees and pray for these people. And what does he tell them? I pray that you'll be strengthened with all might according to to His glorious power. And we're like, yeah, give me that strength. That's great, Paul. Give me that power that God gives. But then he says, with all patience and long-suffering. What's that last part? With joy. Some of, some of you are going, those words should not be together. Patience, long-suffering, joy. Those are like polar opposites. No, no, they go together. See what God is doing in our lives when we step back, as I've had to do many, many times and probably will for the rest of my life, step back and see what is God doing here? What is God trying to teach me here? Not what's God putting me through. When's this going to be over? Are you done yet? I mean, that's kind of our response many times. And God's saying, look, I am molding and shaping you. Ephesians 2 talks about that, how we've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What does verse 10 say? What is he doing? We are his what? Workmanship. He is molding and shaping us. It's not, he does, God does not have a hands-off policy once you're saved. It's hands-on. It's full-on. Because he's continuing to mold us and shape us what to do what? The works that He prepared beforehand that we walk in them. He has created us unto those good works. And don't you think He is going to shape and plan and purpose you to do those things? Absolutely. It's not haphazard. And Paul knew that. And he is praying for these believers in Colossae that they be strengthened with all of the might of God according to His glorious power and that they would have that patience and long-suffering with 
joy. I find it very interesting too. Patience, long-suffering, joy, all those are in the fruit of the Spirit back in Galatians 5. So we see here God produces this patience in us. It, the strength is produced in the waiting. It is almost like it was tailor-made to do that. It is. Jeff Robinson um, has some really good, helpful things that I discovered along the way that help us see what does waiting do for us. And they're all tied to Scripture. Number one, it causes us to pray without ceasing. We are needy. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's always faithful, and the outcome of our waiting always proves Him to be true to His promises. Causes us to bow our knee before heaven and say, God, I need you here. I need you, not just to fix this, but to mold me and shape me and teach me in the way that you want me to go. What else? It instills in us a clearer understanding that we are creatures absolutely dependent upon our Creator. I thought that was so helpful. We crave omniscience, we crave omnipotence, we possess neither. And waiting helps us focus on the one who is omnipotent, who is omniscient. Have you ever taken God's attributes and, and, and run through them and see them in the Psalms and see them all throughout Scripture and then say, what does that, how does that attribute apply to me in my life? See, they're not just things we learn about God. It's, it's His attributes actually affect our lives in profound and massive ways. Because he's omniscient, I can trust him to lead me through any circumstance. Because he's omnipotent, I know he has all the power and strength that I need. What else does this do for us? It increases our faith. What does the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews 11.1? 1? Faith is the conviction of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. We wait and God works. God is doing one thing, as one theologian put it, he's doing a million things. He is, he is always at work, even when we can't see it. It gives us practical ways to apply the sovereignty of God in our lives. In this waiting, we actually experience God's lordship in an intimate way. It's not just a doctrine anymore, it actually applies to us. Where we're at, in the circumstance we're at. It also grounds our future in a certain hope. Romans 8 talks about how creation groans, how it's waiting and longing, how we too are, are, should be waiting and longing for, for Christ's return. But he says here in Romans 8, 24-25, Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. God instills this patience in us. Grounds us that there is a certain hope and future for us. Reminds us that we live between the times, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Jesus will set everything right. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's going to set everything right one day? We pray then and wait knowing that and trusting in that and his wisdom. And I love this one right, right here. It stamps eternity on our eyeballs. When we bring urgent petitions before the Lord, we wait with expectation. We realize that we're not looking to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, as St. Corinthians 4, 18 tells us. Looking for the eternal. That's what waiting on God can do for you. Some other helpful things here. What's the key to all this? This key to patience. God, God meant it for good, no matter what it is. And you probably know where I'm going to go with that. Genesis 50, you know the story of Joseph. I don't have to go into great detail. You know that he went through all of these things. And look at what Joseph says after being sold into slavery from his brothers, almost being killed several times, being put in prison unjustly, being accused of something he didn't do, and now having the opportunity to take revenge on his brothers, what does he say to his brothers? Do not be afraid. 
Look at, and look at this question. For am I in the place of, of God? Joseph knew that he was not <laughs> in a place to do only what God can do. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as to this day to save many people alive. Did Joseph know that information when he was thrown into the pit? Did God whisper it to him? Hey, it's going to turn out really well for you. Just wait about you know, 10 to 15 years, okay? No, that, it, God didn't give him any inclination. But... What does the writer, what does Moses tell us all throughout from Genesis 37 to 50? You'll see this statement. But the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Over and over you see that. God was, God was at work. <laughs> he wasn't sleeping. He wasn't somehow being missed at that time. He was working. Romans 8.28 does the same. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. The purpose of conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. We know all these things. God is working together for good. That's not just some cliche statement. It is truth. We have to stock our minds with that. God is meaning this for good, even if we can't see it on the outset. Here's some heart questions. Number one, in all your relationships, are you patient? Are you loving others? Parents, think about your relationship with your, with your children. You know the best way to display patience is when they disobey. I didn't say give just let them do whatever they want. But their sin is against God. And you need to tell them that. But the way you do it, you do it with a heart that is, that is offended and wants to spew out your impatient attitude upon them, that's not going to foster obedience in their hearts. Children, how about your relationship with your parents? Do you honor them? Do you respect them? Do you obey them? Are you patient with your brothers and sisters? Do you yell at them when they don't listen to you? Or you don't, or they don't do things that you told them to do? Have you lashed out on social media or in a text to someone? Do you take to the public airways to air your frustration? Do you yell and scream at people that cut you off in the road? Do you go to war with your vehicular enemies, as one person put it? How about this? Are you losing your temper when things don't go your way? Can you handle adversity with patience? When things aren't going as you planned them, how do you respond to that adversity? Is it with patience? God is using that adversity to build patience in you. Romans 5 is, is a testament to that. Do you view things that inconvenience you as God's grace in your life? I mean, I'll be honest. This is something that I don't do on a regular basis. Oh, something hard, something in front of me that's an obstacle, something that's going to keep me here a lot longer than I thought originally. Great! I hope it's longer. I hope it's worse than it is. No, I'm not saying that. That's, that's not where I'm going with this. Look at it as, wait a minute, I'm not God. I'm not omniscient. I'm not omnipotent. But in this moment, God wants to teach me something. The last one leads into that. It's patient with God's timing. Don't, we shouldn't find it difficult to embrace the, the providence of God, should we? We find in that moment whether we trust Him or not. Whether we believe He is enough for us. See, a lot of times, impatience masquerades as strength. Because we sound really strong and bold and daring and we're harsh with our language. When we, are, when we become impatient, 
that sounds strong and mighty, but that's really, it's really weak. Patience is that inner strength that God gives us to keep going. Not to quit, not to lash out, not to bail out, not to take some rash decision, but to trust Him and to endure. I want to close with um, an illustration and we'll be done. I don't know if Pastor Jeff has been here or not. Maybe he has. The Tower of Constance. This is in, next to the Rhone River in France. It was built by Duke Philip the Bold. It was designed actually to imitate Jewish architecture and Charlemagne used this. But during the French Civil Wars, this tower fell into the wrong hands and it became converted into a woman's prison. And in 1730... There was a persecution of all the French Protestants, the Huguenots as they were called. The Catholics were in power and they were really sticking it to the Protestants. There was a 15-year-old girl whose name was Marie Durand. And her crime was that she had a brother who was a Protestant minister. They held Protestant meetings in her home. And she was deemed a heretic at 15 Her father was captured. By the way, she was also engaged to be married at the time. Fifteen years old, has her whole life ahead of her. She was brought before the tribunal. All she had to do was say one word. I'm going to butcher this, Jeff. Jobjure, which means recant. That's all she had to say. One word. And then she could walk away, get married, live her life. However, she decided not to recant. How can I recant, she said. The Lord is my Savior. I'm going to stand by my beliefs in the Word of God. She would spend the next 38 years in that tower. Month after month, year after year, given the opportunity to recant. But instead, she etched something on the tower wall. You can still see it today. I'll give you a clearer picture. It looks like register, but it means resist. I resist. I will not recant. She stayed there for 38 winters, so cold. There was no heat. You would shiver yourself thinking you're going to to die in your sleep because it would be so chilly. So hot in the summer. And yet, this tireless Christian became a spiritual leader for these prisoners. She nursed the ailing. She wrote letters for those who could not write. She even developed a hymn book that they would sing every day together. She encouraged her fellow prisoners to sing hymns of the faith. After her release, 38 years later, she returned to her childhood home only to find that her engaged man had died and her father was put to death as well. And she died a few years after that. She did not complain. She did not say that her life was wasted. She put impatience to death by trusting in her Savior to sustain her. It was the inner strength of patience and trusting God that doesn't depend on schedules and circumstances and things to go my way in order for me to be happy. Her joy was found in waiting on the Lord. Her courage was found in waiting on the Lord. Her life rested on waiting for the majority of her life. And yet God empowered her to stay in His place for her. Go at His pace for her. To spend and be spent in the way that He desired to do so. She saw that as good and loving. And she did it all with His present and future grace. Let's pray together. Lord, we have taken of Your supper tonight, Your 
your table, Lord, that takes us back to the cross where your body was broken for us and your blood was spilled out. The blood that cleanses us from all our sin, even the sin of impatience. Lord, we are so easily irritated, easily frustrated. This is something that's going to stare us in the face probably when we get home. There will be something that we see, something of, 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 of spoken word that will tempt us to be impatient. Maybe something we see on, on the news. Maybe something that confronts us on Monday morning at our jobs. Something that our kids will do or not do. Something that our spouse will say or do. May it be something, Lord, that you haven't given us yet. Something that we desire, that you have said no. No, this, is, this confronts us on a regular basis. And yet, Lord, we come back to the cross. We come back to the fact that you died for us. And you died for this sin as much as every sin. Every sin on you was laid at the foot of the cross. And we've been set free, Lord. We don't have to be impatient because of the gospel. You've given us new mercies every morning. You've given us your faithfulness, which endures forever. You've given us your word, Lord, that is sufficient for our every need and every circumstance along the journey. Lord, help us to not look just for better days to come or wish that we were somewhere else with someone else or doing something else or become impatient with your timing. Instead, Lord, help us to trust in your sovereign plan where you have placed us and embrace that journey knowing you'll be with us every step of the way, never leaving us nor forsaking us, making us and shaping us into the men and women you desire for us to be Help us, Lord, not to miss the miracle, the teaching that you've given us because we are so focused on our circumstances and our schedules. Lord, I pray that you would equip us, empower us, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.